Welcome to the Never Iron Anything Comics Review Podcast, episode 132. It's our second go. Uh, a show where we look at comics and try and get underneath the drawing board and see what makes them tick. Joining me this week are two names that regular listeners will be familiar with. Um, regular co-host and wrangler of all things black and white is Mr. Alan Henderson. Hello, Al. Greetings. Good man. And also here, we've got, there's a threesome, as always. Um, a recent collaborator of mine, comics creator, artist and scholar, Mr. Jonathan Cannon. Hello, J-Boy. You right? J-Boy. So, yes, thank you. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah that's, I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> good. 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 <laughs> right. <laughs> What's going on? We're, we're meeting, aren't we, soon? We're having a little meet-up. We're at a convention. Coming soon. In a few yeah. days. That'd right. be exciting. And we're talking about that. Um, Mr. Cannon's very excited for tonight's episode. I'm... <laughs> um, um, Stirring. Stirrings. It's good. Good stuff. Good. We've had a little pre chat. I wonder why I brought up the idea, but everybody will wait and see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's moved twice already. <laughs> we'll be entering a world of free love, rapa- rapacious consumerism, and monetized violence. So, Alan, would you like to tell us the person we'll be talking about? Yeah, certainly. So, we're going to talk about a writer, an artist who was. Born in New Jersey, and I, I still say is possibly the most New York person I've ever met. Um, this person has a comics history that means that he's assisted Gil Kane, Wally Woods. He's he's ghosted for for Gary Morrow. He's been an apprentice to Neil Adams, and that was just the start yeah. of the career that is Howard Chaykin. Excellent. Good. We'll be getting into the nitty gritty around that. And uh, Jay Boy, um, what what book of his will we be mainly discussing? Um, well, tonight, Tony, we're going to be discussing <laughs> we're going to be discussing American Flag, but American Flag issues one to three. Cool. Also known as Hard Times, I believe. Yes. Um, is yes. that um, now that we've got we've got a kind of a few different versions of that in front of us? Um, personally, I've got the um, the original issues which I bought at the time. And I didn't actually buy them at the time. I think I bought. I started on issue five. I liked it so much. I went back and found the previous issues. And I've also got the first comics graphic novel, Hard Times, with the introduction introduction by Michael Moorcock. Although, if you do listen to a recent podcast by Mister Liefeld, he refers to him as Michael Moorock. But there you go. You can't have everything, can you? <laughs> um, uh, Johnny, what are you? What version are you reading from, my friend? Well, I'm going to derail this immediately by telling you a, a weird anecdote. I've got the original issues, and I only got them um, during my um, insane eBay addiction. They got very, very out of hand um, during lockdown. <laughs> you and me and, both, yeah. yeah. So I've, I've got the original issues, but it was really interesting when I was reading back through the issues for this podcast. I was like, why have I got two issues, two? Is that, that doesn't make any sense. And so I looked at them both, and one of them is actually signed by Harold Chicken. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. And I didn't get it signed by him, so... Because um, he, he, he wouldn't speak to me ever again. So, um, uh, <laughs> I don't know if we, you've warned me about mentioning that story, but uh, we, we might get into a story surrounding it at some point tonight. You're going to make me cry, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Al, what are you reading from me? So I've actually got the Graffiti Designs um, hardcover collection that, that came out in 1987. Um, I've got the first three hardcovers that they, they did uh, that takes up. Basically, I think it's the first 12 issues in total, or there or thereabouts. 
um, going through the other storylines of Southern Comfort and State of the Union. Nice. Good stuff. Now, um, the credits actually change slightly between versions. We were just discussing this off mic, but um, uh, of the original issue one, which I have in front of me, you've got story and art Howard Chaikin, lettering Ken Bruzenek, uh, colouring Lynn Varley and editing Mike Gold. But the in the um, the first comics collection I've got, that only came out a few years after this, it's this, all the same credits apart from the colourist for the... It's clearly been recoloured, is Leslie Zala. Um, for yeah. whatever reason, I don't know. Um, does anyone know that reason why? Or, no? Yeah, so Leslie Zala, she... Um, Lynn Varley moved on after issue two um, and uh, original issues, um, and it was Leslie Zala by the third issue. Um, time scale wise I'm not too sure. I mean, that might have been when Lynn Varley... Um, Kind of started working exclusively with with Frank Miller for a while. Right. Um, she might have moved over to DC. But it could have been that. Yeah. So that was. I know they were both present at Upstart Studios, weren't they, at some point or other? Um, yes, I think Frank Miller. I Frank Miller had left by eighty two. I think, or he was, or he was down the hallway. That's um, right. I know Chaykin was down the hallway for a while, wasn't he as well? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting. I mean, they are there. There is sort of significantly different colouring on them, but it kind of suits the paper, I think, in a way. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, that's, I think it's just been when they've gone for the collected editions, they've needed to to bring it back to to one type. But yeah, I think you're right, man. Yeah. So, Flag is an interesting series. Fifty issues plus some specials ran between 1983 and 1988. Um, in 1984, it was nominated for get this ten Eagle Awards, out of which it won seven. Um, never, never won an Eisner, and I don't think Mr. Chaykin has either, which is a real shame. There ever was no, someone no. who should have done it was him. As we're about to, as we're, we'll be ex- getting excited and talking about him as this episode goes on. Um, so, Al, what was your first exposure to Howard Chaykin? So, oddly enough, my first exposure was actually only as a writer, um, right. and it would have been the the Twilight series. Ah, yeah. Nothing to do with vampires. Yeah. Um, but it's a series that came out in 1990 by DC Comics um, with art by Josie Garcia Lopez. Yes. Uh, and that, that would have been my very first exposure to, to Chicken. And I think then going backwards in time I would have picked up certainly the Shadow series, yes. obviously. Yeah. Um, and and Black Hawk as the you know as a probably sort of first real exposure to him as a as an artist. Um, and then obviously Backs and forwards thereafter. Yeah, being a DC boy, they would they would have been the sort of main ones you go for, I'm guessing. Was yeah, it? yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that obviously that would, well, wouldn't matter who put the shadow out. I would always have jumped yeah. on that as, yeah, as, yeah. as the thing for there. And okay, it's not everybody's favourite take of um, of that character, but it, it's yeah. it's certainly Chicken's take of it. He got some and shit like for that. it, didn't he? But he defends himself quite well, I think, around it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes a lot of sense as to, to the position he did with it. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And Martin Tain just is a little offshoot. He brought him up to date, didn't he, in that series? Off the top so of my head. I have read the, it. I can't remember. Yeah, so the premise that, that Chicken took was if if The Shadow had been a continuous running comic series from, say, the, the 1970s series that was O'Neill and Kaluta, or even going back to the 1940s pulp, everything would have changed around him. Anyway, and if you think about it, the Batman of today is not still set in 1940s Gotham. Yeah. It's setting the, the broader thing. So why wouldn't the shadow also move with the times? Yeah. And therefore be, be you know, mid-1980s by the time you're there. Now, the issue that that had for a lot of shadow fans is it meant it moved from um, the, the, the Colt 45 guns to um, 
and Uzi and, and the like. <laughs> and it, it, you know, it, it was probably just a bit of a, too much of a leap for for people at that point. But it does make sense, and it is still the the the, the premise of the character. Yeah, I can only imagine that an Uzi suited Brudenek's lettering a bit better, didn't it? You know, <laughs> uh, from what I say. What about you, um, Mr. Mr. Jake? Where did you first come across Howard Chaikin? Um, I would first have seen Chaikin probably, and well, it would have been. I think. I think. Was it Killraven? Maybe his Killraven okay. issues were maybe um, reprinted in the back of the Marvel UK version of Planet of the Apes. I think. Yeah. But cert- but certainly. I remember the first time I saw his stuff, and I just thought, "My God, what is that?" I absolutely love that art. It was a an advert for the um, Wolverine Nick Fury yeah. um, graphic novel mm-hmm. he did, and that advert would have been in Marvel Age, um, and it was the Scorpio design in the background with the headshots of yeah. Nick Fury and, and Wolverine, and I was just like, "My God, that's absolutely unbelievable!" I, like how it was really the first time I really can I get into his actual comics was um, when he was a writer, when he was doing the, I think it was David Titchman, was his writing partner in American Century, which would have been 2001, so I'd have been 27 at the time. Okay. Um, so, aye, a wee bit late on. And like I said, Flag, I only really get into um, over lockdown and, and just absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, he's, 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 I've read a lot of his stuff. Uh, like I was saying, I mean, Twilight's incredible. Um, there's things about his writing that I particularly like that he doesn't. It's not he's not spoon feeding readers. He likes to yeah. challenge his readers. He seems to like to antagonise readers as well. It's quite <laughs> funny, but um, and delights in. But uh, he's he's one of my favourite cartoonists. Yeah, I think you're right, man. He likes to antagonise as a writer. I mean, he like you know, right angry yeah. is the way I kind of think yes. of him sometimes. Yes, and and I like that sort of conversational style that he uses as well because he he he, he often says I write as I talk, you know, which I kind yes. of like as well. Especially you know, even his sort of essay style stuff that we're seeing at the moment in his Substack, um, it's such a, a lovely conversational style. I really warm to it, you know, and you do find yourself warming to this sort of antagonistic bastard that he is sometimes, um, you know. Well, Yes. Well, this, I use that, that phrase that he's the most New York person yeah. that I've ever, or certainly in the comics field that I've ever met type of thing. And it is that all, you know, you can imagine him standing there going, I'm walking here yeah. type of thing. And that's yeah. that's just how he writes as well about saying, yeah. you know, he, he doesn't take any BS and he calls a spade a spade and just, you know, this is my view, just live with it. If you don't like it, you can, you know, take the vegetarian option, uh, yeah. as Frankie Ball put it, which is you can fuck off. Um <laughs> Yeah, and and that's that's kind of just the way I put you know. And as I say, that that combined with that, that new New Jersey attitude that he just has, yeah. um, just makes him great. So yeah, I do love it. I think I've got a feeling it's in the Howard Chaykin Dynamite book. You know, the art of Howard Chaykin book. Where is it? Karen Berger who has an anecdote which she says when he comes in the office, he he was he. I love talking to him because he always. You know, in London, we call it throw a few lines into her, you know, but he was sort of obviously quite complimentary and tell her how how, she, how good she's looking and stuff, you know. And I thought, what a dude. <laughs> yeah. That's like, I love that. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing <laughs> wrong about it. He's just, you know, he's just, yeah, I love it. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, for me, it was, I think you're right. I think I'm with you, uh, Johnny, is it was probably unaware it was the um, Kill Raven stuff. Um, yeah. But part of that was part of that was Neil Adams as well, wasn't it? It was when, wasn't there sort of he was he Neil Adams was meant to do an issue and he spent oh god didn't it wasn't it that was the one where he spent 
something like six months or something the first issue didn't finish it so Chaikin had something like a weekend or a few that's days right. to finish it off yeah. that's that's pretty much what it was I must have seen actually do you know what I'd have seen his Star Wars stuff god yeah um, good point man he, yeah. he printed as well but Marvel Marvel UK that, yeah um, I, I definitely saw that because I think it the first issue of that did he do that Fury um, spotlight as well Marvel spotlight that was him wasn't it is that him? Um, oh, God. I can't remember now. But I, I certainly saw his Scorpion. I remember buying, getting bought on a school trip or something, some of the yes, Atlas yeah. comics. And I remember seeing the Scorpion yes. thing. And then I saw his Dominic Fortune as well yeah. somewhere. Dominic yeah, Fortune right. stroke him yeah. stroke. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a recurring character, isn't it, Dominic Fortune? In fact, I had a lovely morning this morning reading a Dominic Fortune return written by him and Wade. Just did this thing where they're obviously just in the middle of a run of shield they decided oh let's have let's have dominic fortune come back as an old dude and it's a lovely little oh, story okay. it's almost like a little this is really about howard you know it's almost a bit of that which i kind of liked but uh yeah yeah that's where that's where it's now i know we had a chat about this on the whatsapp group as well al but you suggested look i think it's worth speaking about first comics and i think it, i think yeah. you're right here man i mean flag the story goes that um Chaikin was sat at i think it was a chicago comic convention with mike gold who he, he knew already mike gold being one of the two um commissioning editors um at first comics and and he sort of said to him do you want to do this and they had a few quid behind them and as i understand it um Chaikin had a, quite a few debts he needed to pay off from various product projects that hadn't properly paid and he sort of bit his hand off and, and got on with it and um it, it was at that point that sort of first comics was starting off um was it was was first comics a, a go-to for you al when you were a, what would you be a teenager at the time or a, you know so 12, 13? a lot of the first comics were probably just a little bit early from when i got back into collecting big time right but they were the ones that you went when you went hunting through back issue bins and the like and to to, to get because it was it, you know you think of some of the titles that they put out oh, which was you know badger elric you've got um john sable, sable. in there yeah Grimjack. i mean it was their yeah. their versions of lone wolf and cub it was yeah. their versions of of you know of some of the nexus stuff and and, and various others may also so mention was... time beavers obviously a very important asset of their uh, library <laughs> Um, and they did, you know, they did all the a number of the classics illustrated as well, which again, yep. were, which probably made them a lot of money. They always looked, yeah, yeah, I, I bet they because they would have done a lot well, you know, done well actually out in the general market. But you know, it was they were clearly a company of quality, and the or they knew how to pr- produce good non superhero comics that were, you know, interesting and adventure adventure stories essentially. And that that drew a lot of people in, I think, in terms of um, of getting that. And I think you know their legacy moved into probably Dark Horse more than anything else. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's you know it, it was a as I say, it was a company that you knew you were getting something decent from. And then obviously it was the early nineties that so everybody just I, I genuinely in on itself. I think they 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 presented and were representative of a big key change that went on in the early on the early 80s and and we and we often speak on this show about the early eight, early to mid 80s being the best mm. time in comics you know and i think first comics really did represent part of that and when you think they they threw unlike i suppose eclipse at the time which were a bit more scattershot with their stars these guys threw themselves into adventure comics didn't they in various mm. areas so we had they bought in some products so they bought in um star slayer from pacific Whisper Nexus and Badger, Evangeline from Kamiko, um, and I don't know if you remember Warp. Do either of you remember the comic Warp? Yep. 
That was a fucking musical. Some like hippie druggy druggy music like psychedelia <laughs> LSD Frank, musical. So Frank mate, Booner was Frank Booner um, was in that first, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and, uh, Peter Gillis, who I think Peter Gillis didn't he come out of the marketing department at Marvel or something like oh, that? Did he? <laughs> he right. did Alpha Flight. He did Alpha Flight for a while. Um, ah, okay. Well, the the, uh, the musical, the original musical, had the dad from Home Alone. He had the main role in it, and I don't think it lasted more than a couple of weeks or something. But right. for some reason, someone decided to make a good comment. It's pretty wacky, though. Have you guys read it? Or no, uh, <laughs> it's pretty nuts. I've got an issue of it. Yeah. Oh, sorry, on you go. No, no, I was going to say it's it, you know just looking at some of the, the, the images in front of me just now. It, it's very much of its time, and it has that that again. You know what? It's another one that will look great on newsprint. It's that sort yep. of thing. I just want yeah. some of these books, and it I ran first, for a while, you know, you know, and had a couple yeah. of specials out. Yeah, and we also had Eman and Mike Mauser. They came over, um, I think, from Charlton. We had Dreadstar mm-hmm. came over from Marvel, so it wasn't a completely original line. But you did have stuff like Flag Grimjack, um, mm-hmm. Sable from Mike Grell. Um, like you say, you, you also had stuff like Shatter, if you remember that, which was allegedly the yeah. first digital comic. And then you had mm-hmm. the um, Elric Corum, Corum um, Hawkmoon books. And then a really forgotten classic, I think, of that, that little period was Dynamo Joe, if you remember that, which was kind of a, a US attempt at mech, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one we've spoke about before, Al, is Mars uh, with Hempel, yes. which is a, br- a brilliant book, which IDW put a reprint out for recently. Yeah. Do you know, it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned about the their ladies um because well I, I get into first comics and, and really get very intrigued at their output i mean i've heard of things like flag and e-man and stuff but it was really through nexus and um, which was originally like capital and then went across to yeah to um first um and i mean i mean we, all, we did a podcast before about nexus which i i yeah. love you know it's up there with flag for me but yeah. it's really interesting you saying about their ladies because i know that you've recently done a podcast about burn and Cliff in that had said that, you know, 1986, you know, it's the greatest year in comics. I would, I think sometimes people, when they remember backwards, they, um, they kind of telescope, the telescope and affects their memory. And they try to conflate things into one year. And it's the same when you talk about, oh, 1968, the year that changed the world. And then you actually look at events, 1967, 1966. And so on. It's the same with comics because Flag was created in 1982, but published in 1983. Love and Rockets was first published in 1982. Um, Nexus would have been created in 1982. Warrior was launched in 1982. Cerebrus had been running since 1977. Lone Wolf and Cub was launched in 1970, but certainly by the end of the decade was getting passed around artist studios in New York. Akira had been published in late 1982, and Dean Haspiel, in an interview in the Virtual Memory Show, talks about how Chaykin and Simonson were passing that back and forward when he was um, working on American Flag um, with Chaykin, which would have been from issue 15. Wow, um, okay. So that would have been around about 1983, 1984. So um, I, I, I would... It's interesting to look at, listen to interviews, and Chaykin gets asked a question a lot about, you know... Why isn't this as influential as things like Watchmen and um, Dark Knight Returns? And there's an obvious answer for that. But but there's a lot of stuff. It's not just Flag that predates Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns and Mouse. Um, you know that 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 had a huge impact, and it's kind of been forgotten. Well, that that well, line I from Flag agree. to Everything's... Dark Knight is a palpable one, though, isn't it? Do you not yes. think? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I. Well, well we, uh, we've all read that. Um, oh, I think we've read the... What's the book that you and I bought, Johnny? Um, oh, the Costello book. The Costello book, yeah. We've had a read of that. And, and I was chatting <laughs> to... Uh, Al and I were, were um, Zooming the other day about something, and um, you were mentioning... You, you've got a theory about why Flag isn't as popular, so, isn't it? And it also appeared in that book. Do you want to talk a bit about that, Al? Just... Yeah, so yeah. I, I really, th- I mean, part of it's it's all about how things can be collected and put on, you know, and then get reread and re, you know, reissued. Um, and uh, Flag, because it wasn't a limited series, didn't you know? I think it suffers from the fact that people are going, well, I don't want to get all, uh, all fifty issues, <laughs> you know, or it's yeah. far too big a read, you know. But it doesn't have that obvious beginning and end to that the people who can go right it's a one-off book i can read it and and, and go which is what watchman has it's what dark knight has people can say that's the book and i think if flag had been a 12 issue series and nothing more then it would be actually held in it wouldn't be held in higher regard because it's held in high regard it would be more visible to people Okay. And more people would be much more aware of it because I think as soon as anybody gets around to finding it and reading it, they they see what it is for what it is, which is the you know, it's the the of the base rock for a lot of things that came after it. Because yeah. I, I no flag, you don't get Watchmen and you don't get Dark Knight. Yeah, um, and especially Dark Knight, in my thought as well. I think from a stylistic sort of consumerism, oh, stylistically, yeah, yeah. Well, the yeah. the whole the use of the television stories for, Mate, for, for you know, cutting back to the television screens to to do newscast for for the little bits. Of, you know, yeah. um, I must admit because the first time I read Flag, which would have been uh, mid to mid mid noughties or, or right. Those, um because i picked it up after one of the i i got the the books that i've got following a new york comic con where oh, okay uh, i got the the 10 percent discount or 20 percent discount voucher from midtown that you could pick up at the con oh, like they give a postcard out don't they, as you're wandering around yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's how i ended up with these books right and so it would be after sometime after that that i read this first time and i, and I i'll fully admit I did not realize it was 1983. I thought it was a lot later because, and you know, and it's like, it's that whole, as John says, you misremember what things, what the timing is for certain things and you start putting things in the wrong order yeah. and you start, you know, and you do the same with music and stuff as well. You think, oh, this has been heavily influenced by person X. And it's like, no, no, it's the other way around. Yeah. Um, and that, that really for me is the, the big thing about flags that it, it sets an adult tone. It keeps the, the, the story pounding along and it uses certain techniques that that really get copied a lot in the in the mid eighties in those books that are considered to be the the the, the giants. Yeah. So they 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 truly stand on top of this, and you know, in terms of the this is the shoulders that lifts them up. I think one of the problems is it's not obtainable digitally either. They, now, if you go onto Comicsology, there is a version of it available on Amazon, but it's like a pirated version for some reason. I ended up, because I was away, I didn't take my copy with me to read when I was at the New York Comic Con. I thought, oh, I'll buy it digitally. And it's it's some weird sort of photocopy scan thing turns out. I actually asked for my money back on it and got it back straight away. Obviously, it, got, it had got through the editors on Amazon to, to be able to be sold there. So maybe that's also a reason. I think also we may be getting a bit ahead of ourselves because perhaps we should mm. perhaps now head over to Johnny, who's going to give us a summary <laughs> <laughs> of what it's all yeah. about. The first three issues, there was, anyway. There was, there was a couple of theories I had as well. So okay, go on, Ian. Yeah, let's have them first. There's there there a couple yeah. of things. Firstly, like because Jaken talked about this in the Comic Book Historians podcast when when they asked him about the impact it had, and he said that it had an enormous impact, but not in the audience. 
got on the talent pool. Yeah. People who saw the yeah. book became mm. professionals. The audience, even at that point, the audience had been convinced that the material was the brand and I was of the perspective that we were entering a realm of a star system and that talent would be the brand to a certain extent. It's been in, uh, at the middle of the road for me. So to me, what flat flags, flag and chicken are like the Velvet Underground and yeah. Blue Reed of comics to me like everyone that you know listened to those oh, the sex pistols yeah. Yeah, yeah it became a band yeah. and it's the same with chicken um i think in that i think i think the obvious thing for me why flag wasn't as big as those others because it wasn't produced by dc or marvel and it didn't have as good as first output was they didn't have the they were direct market only weren't they as well Mar yeah. marvel and dc yeah and i think the other thing that probably has held it back is rights issues as well because the only reason he went back to flag after he'd left was because it was meant to be a movie deal in the works. Oh, um, okay. Aye. But but the thing I was saying about the 12, um, if it was a 12-issue series, is really interesting to me because if you look at what flag is, it could never be that. No, um, I it agree. just couldn't be. Yeah. Again, it's, 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 it's I mean, pulp. you look yeah, at it. It's a pulp book. Well, yes, it's pulp. Yeah. Well, it's just, aye, but, but specifically, like the three things that went into, uh, that he said went into the kind of, um, the influence in the story was Terry and the Pirates, Gunsmoke and Maverick. And it's a Terry and the Pirates, Steve Canyon, Buzz Sawyer. That's what this is. It's an, an adventure series, which goes yeah. back to what Alan Al had said earlier on about First in General, which is interesting. But, I mean, you can even look at something like John Sable and you're like, is that a bit like, um, you know, Secret Agent X-9 or, you know, something like that? So, yeah. um, aye. I, love um, I think it's a thing. Yeah. I think the other thing I heard him say in that comic book historian's interview as well, which is very good, was he said, yeah, not an easy book to read for those who are brought up on the X-Men. This was far too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can hear him saying, can't you? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you really can, yeah. There's always got to be a wee dig. <laughs> I, love, I love that. Me too, I man. Really Look, I, yeah. if, if he ever listens to this, just know that this is said with much love. We love the fact that he, he takes no prisoners, man. Do you know what I mean? I fucking love yeah. it. Right, Mr Pickering, yeah. come on then. What, what do you think? Um, so in Chicken's own word, this is a post-Holocaust negative utopia as burlesque comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it sound a little bit grand, but it is good fun as well. Let's yeah. face it, yeah. And it combines his interests in patriotism, sex, consumerism, graphic design, architecture, fashion, and pornography. <laughs> <laughs> and probably violence as well. Um, these, it was so interesting reading back. The first time I read this, I probably had the same experience as a lot of folk, where it is unbelievably dense. Yeah. The cartoonist Kayfade episode they did in the first edition, they say that so much happens. But rereading it, what's really interesting is, is it, it made me think of that quote that you often um, attribute to Steve Dillon. Okay. When the art takes out or something. Yeah. This is such a visually striking comic and such a game changer. I think that's what people struggle, struggled with. Because if you actually look at it, either visually or narratively, um, it's actually quite straightforward. Even though there's a lot of flair there and there's a lot of experimentation, a lot of new ideas in there that come out of magazine illustration, poster design, um, that hadn't really been done in, or certainly not done in comics that I'd seen from round about that period. Um, it's quite straightforward. It's just there's a lot in there. Yeah, you've really got to uh, invest in just read yeah, it, haven't but, you? That's the thing. But the, yeah. but the story itself, the, the plot, is actually pretty straightforward. It's a great um, setup and, to me. Do you know what oh, I mean? It's just, that that, that yeah. is one of the best first issues yeah. I've ever read. I think it's I think it's an, an incredible comic. 
it's it's it's, it's and phenomenal. And not to depress any of us, he did this when he was thirty-one years old. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I thirty-two. Thirty-two. It's, it's okay. quite, I, it's quite funny. Don't know that. It's, well, he specifically mentions that, and one of the things he said about um, when he was talking about the comic and where his influences came from, he made this point about I was thirty-two. It was impossible not to learn, and. Um, one of the things I looked at was um, the Sparring with Gil Kane book that I'm obsessed with, yeah. the Gary Groth edited book. In that, there's an interview from 1982 between Gil Kane and Howard Chaikin, and it's one of the best things about comics I've ever read. <laughs> I would encourage everyone to read it. And there's, there's, there's some stuff in there that I'll mention later on. We are definitely getting into the whole um, Gil Kane, oh, yeah. Howard Chaikin dynamic. You, you, can, you cannot talk about Howard Chaikin without It's incredible, yeah. Even just the yes. little things like Gil Kane had a nose job. That just I just yes. love those little things, you know, just yeah. so representation yeah. of these people's characters. But, you, you know. but, but it's really interesting. When you, when you were talking about Dominic Fortune earlier on, you were saying about, oh, it's Chaikin. There was, there was a quote I found when... Chaikin was talking about um, Flag as his in, in, pers- in panel persona. Right. And he specifically says, but I'm not six feet two um, with a gorgeous nose. And, and you're just like, this is a Gil Kane thing. It's just, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's just really, really interesting. But anyway, the story. Okay, the, the plot, my friend. Right. So yep. the plot, so not the story, the plot. The plot's quite straightforward. It is set um, in 26. 20- 2077, so it's coming up for the tricentennial for America. Um, it's set in Chicago, which is interesting because I thought nat- I thought naturally it's going to be New York. I'd forgotten, and then yes, it's but it's not. It's Chicago. Then I realised, oh, that's probably because first comics were in yes. the Chicago area, weren't they? I guess you know. I, it may have been as a reaction to Marvel and DC. I don't think yeah, maybe talked yeah. why that location. I mean, the the thing is. I think it's also to do with the fact that it's properly then in the centre of America. Or, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, rather than, than being one of the coasts. Okay. Um, but okay. Because of the way that that makes it much more of a, a commuting hub, which yeah. is what Chicago is. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, actually, that that's a really good point because when you think about it, with, with the particularly with the way it's also the history of it being a you know a gangster driven town as well. I guess. Yes. Maybe. You mm. know. Yes. That's yeah. another good point as well, actually. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought that. So, uh, I when the point of gangsters, um, the Plex um, is a large corporation that's sort of taken over um, America, um, and it's a very consumer-driven culture because the, in 1996 there was some kind of like a just a melange of various different things like meltdowns, crop failures, the USSR collapsed, which he, he foresaw. Um, food riots in Western Europe, um, black plagues in Asia, um, the international bank system collapsed, um, Iran-Israel nuclear exchange, Germany reunited, nukes <laughs> London, and California sinks, plague spreads. And what happens is um, um, a large population relocates to Mars. So Ruben Flagg, the hero of the comic, um, was born in Mars. And in the first issue, this is him arriving um, in Chicago, um, which is quite interesting when you think about, obviously, Judaism and Jewishness is is something which it features in most of Chaikin's comics, and it's certainly central in this as well. There's, there's something in this about assimilation as well, which is interesting to okay. me. Um, but, in, um, interesting from a point of view as well the book doesn't feature him for what is it like six or seven pages well i was going to mention that and do, yeah. do you know i so 
the first scene set in an airport and the lead character is discussed in, in the build-up to his, to his entrance. Um, that is exactly what happens um, in Milton Kniff's introduction of the Steve Canyon um, character in the Steve uh, Canyon okay. strip. In the first few days, you do not meet Steve Canyon. You just hear people talking about him, and then he enters the strip. And Steve Canyon is a pilot. Um, so that's what I thought about the airport thing as well. Is this another nod to um, to Steve Canyon? Because obviously this is based on partly in Terry and the Pirates, but it does pull in a lot of other things. Um, in one of the interviews I listened to, uh, one of the interviewers um, asked, it was the Toth and Depth interview, That's which a good is one. fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah, really, really good. good. Yeah. And he asked about, right, is there a bit of Roy Crane designs in there? Like, flag looks like Buzz Sawyer to me. Yeah. And Chaykin almost sounds a bit bashful about it and a bit coy about it. He's like, no, yeah, totally. I mean, but that's the thing with this comic is, it is a kitchen sink comic. Everything he's learned is in this comic. There's no one influence. Everything he's learned is in this comic because he threw everything at it. And he says that himself. But anyway, the plot, aye. So it basically turns into um, a murder mystery. Ruben Flag is an ex <laughs> yeah. softcore porn star. Yeah, I heard, um, John, I heard John Suntris call it a Skinamax kind of programme, I think yes. is the phrase yes. he used. Yeah. Yes. Mark yeah. Thrust, Sexus Ranger. Sexist, yeah. Who has been fired and replaced with a computer generated um, version of himself in the TV show instead and becomes a Plexus Ranger. Well, you were just talking so, about that, weren't you? Saying about how this yeah, is just a return to AI, isn't it? <laughs> it, it yeah. It's it, so some of the, I mean, you, you've talked about some of the things that, that built up the, the basis of the storyline and how much of it was predicted. I mean, we keep, you know, Plex is Amazon long before yeah. Amazon existed. Yeah. Right? Very true. Um, you're right, and it's a case of flags lost. Is flags being cancelled as well? So it's yes. cancel culture in there, and it's been replaced by an AI video, which is essentially deep fake. And it's like, I'd like um, Mr. Chicken to give me the lottery numbers now as well, because he's just <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, you know, as a futurist, he's he's clearly hitting a lot of the marks. Just not, you know, it's all about getting the timing right for some of these things. Yeah, and even um, visually, he suddenly out of the blue has created apps on the page you yes. know the apps you get on your iphone they they cover the top of a page here you know he also creates well i don't know about he creates but certainly um so if you look at the first issue page 17 of the issue which talks about like so you, you you're in the, mid, the middle of this issue um, and it's not really explained how you've got to this point where it's such a mess in america and how the plex and control and that's when it talks about 1996 that's displayed um, i mean there's talking heads in there but it is an infographic as well. So yeah. it predates the way that a lot of this um, kind of foretells how information will be presented. And turning um, an exclamation and, mark into a domino is the fucking... Yes. It's oh, just it's genius. genius, isn't it? Yeah. Absolute genius. But, but And I think that's something, actually, when you were talking earlier on about the impact it had in Dark Knight Returns, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think it had a massive impact in Watchmen as well. Because when I was rereading this, I was really struck... That what he does is there's um, there's a story he tells with the plot, there's a story he tells with the visuals, and then there's a sorry with the with the illustration of the comics, the storytelling, and then there's a story he tells with the graphic design on top of that as well, because that first issue, um, the things that are progressing the story, it's not just the words and the word balloons, it's the onomatopoeia, the sound effects as yeah. well. And the best example of that is probably the countdown clock to the Go Gang. 
um, yeah. as well as the visual storytelling as well, which is so sophisticated. And we I don't mean, forget this, we've got a countdown is... clock front and yeah. centre in Watchmen, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think this had a, ma- a huge impact in, 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 it must have had a massive impact in Moore. But I think they were, they were, it's such an exciting time in comics. Like, it's hard to tell who influenced who because, you know, people are just, you can, I mean, the energy comes off the page just as it does in Dark Knight yeah. Returns and just as it does in we'll, we'll, we'll talk a bit about his his influences, his contemporaries in a minute because, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's so much going on. So, yeah, so you're yeah. right, Johnny. So he's he's basically landed, he's this ex-porn star yep. who's basically been, they said you can either go to war on this planet or you can go yep. to Chicago and be a cop. And he, he comes to Chicago as a sort of quite a glamorous yep. looking cross between, you know, a, yep. a noirish cop and Captain America almost in a way, doesn't he? He's got, he wears the flag yeah, yeah. in a way, doesn't he? You know? Definitely. And, and he, you know, but again, it's that kind of classic. And you can see where the gun smoke and the Maverick stuff comes yeah. in. It's a one clean cop. He's a gunslinger, and, isn't he? He, and wears, and it, he wears it on his even, leg. Even yeah. though he's not that clean. Aye, aye. Yeah, you can even tell by the way, the way he carries his gun. He's left-handed. <laughs> I wonder where that comes from. Um, the way he carries his gun as well, like in that kind of on his uh, right hip with a left-handed um, holster. So it's, ah, it's, it's well, one thing. Um, but anyway, it turns into a, a murder mystery. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, he, <laughs> that sums it up. Just in relation to the iconography that we've got on show, in in you know immediately front and center again is something you mentioned yeah. to me Al, the other day, and it was about a Dave Gibbons book, but not specifically yeah. Watchmen. Did you want to repeat that one as so well? It's, yeah. And, and again, you don't know whether things have just influenced in the background, yeah. but the the logo that's used for the Rangers and by Plex is the yeah. circle with three stars in it. Yeah. Yes. And if you go back to the discussion that we had about Give Me Liberty and yeah. Martha Washington, the logo that exists for that, again, is is a, a bastardization of the American flag into a circle that has the stars in it sort of laid out with the, yeah. the colour codes. And it's very, very, you know, so there, there's some form of relationship there in terms of how these things come together. Yeah. Definitely in terms of that, that, that piece. And, yeah, so we keep saying, you would not know this was four or five years prior yeah. to, to to those books. Oh, I mean, I remember, I remember reading reading this at the time as a kid, and I was 12, you know. The biggest impact the book had on me was the fact that all these women were in lingerie, to be fair, at the time, you know. <laughs> but the, yeah, uh, yeah. the other the other thing I had on it was I, I was really into sort of densely written and densely detailed, a lot of Don McGregor stuff, you know, just prior to this. And this this was my jam, reading a page that took you – you know, ten minutes, like you're talking about page seventeen there, Johnny. That's a yeah. deep read. You know, and I I loved that amount that was put into each page, and it, I just held it and held it, held it, and it and it was all fresh to me at the time. I remember reading it and thinking, "Wow, what is he talking about here?" You know, and I think we just had um, those sort of blip images shown in a couple of comedy shows. The the young ones had the subliminal messaging going on it and on mm-hmm. television. And it was very much a conversational piece at the time in the news with this sort of this sort of conversation about are we being hypnotized by, you know, advertising. And here it was yeah. in a comic. And it it it's totally entrancing at the time. And then when I saw it in, you know, other books like Dark Knight, you know, with this sort of the the high use of media in there, I honestly did think, oh, that's come from what that's come from um Flack. You know, it did occur to me at the time, but not in a sort of it's been stolen. This is just like they're ex- further exploring this idea. It's fair enough to me, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I think so. I think it's it's interesting you say that because I um, I was recently um, reading my um, Frank Miller Daredevil omnibus, and in there there's a the use of talking heads and TVs as well, and that predates um, Flag, but the the use of media 
in Dark Knight Returns feels more of an extension of American Flag than the previous Daredevil thing. So I think you're right. Yeah. It's a case of people seeing things taken up a notch, seeing something else taken up a notch, and it's and it's. I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, it's hard to overstate how good this comic is and the impact yeah. it had for good, for good and bad. Yeah, I think it's a good time now. We're going to talk a little bit about the history because what we'll do is we'll talk about his influences and his contemporaries and that will lead back into some questions, I think. I've got a few yeah. around um, the book. So Howard Chaykin, born in 1950 in New Jersey, um, although he did live in Brooklyn. Um, after his mother died, he found out that he was actually illegitimate and his two brothers had a different father to him. Um, for, and then when he was a kid... I think he said he was four years old in one interview I read. His cousin gave him a box full of comics and it contained westerns, funny animals, capes and crime and some horror stuff. Um, And he he did have a difficult childhood. Much of it was spent on welfare with his single mother. Um, And he he refers to Black Hawks as the first comic he ever stole, I think, which is where his love for Black Hawks come from. Yeah. Um, Which is an early favour yours, Al, wasn't it, Black Hawks, his stuff? Yeah. 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 Oh, it was a, again, it was because it was one of these ones where it was was a pulp book the way that he wrote it and, and produced yeah. it for DC. Yeah, you'll love a pulp. Was, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So I, and yeah. Um, do you know? Do you know? It's it's really interesting just for saying that. Like about um, there's there's two things that jump out from interviews, like with kind of classic comic creators. One is like you said about him getting those that box of comics in 1955. Um, is that early readers in comics help them become early readers. Yeah. And the other thing that's really common is at some point they're really sick when they're a kid and they're ex- they then there's like a, a period that they either spend reading comics or engaging in some kind of popular culture. In Jakin's case, it was gangster films and TV when he was 13 years old. Right. And when he was 13, he also met Gil Kane for the first time too. So there are that, there is that commonality. And to be quite, to be quite honest, to be fair, there's also a lot of small press folk I know who have that too. Like, and, and I'm not comparing myself, myself included, the same. Well, I didn't meet Gil Kane when I was 13, <laughs> but being ill, you know, for a period, getting into comics, you know, being sick reading comics and stuff, but also being a very, very early reader because of comics. Yeah, I think you yeah, said that to me as well before, Tony, about you. Yeah, so it's a, it's a much discussed um, subject yeah. on this show as well about, you know, a lot of these people who yeah, are writers yeah. and artists, and, you know, it was an early, early imprinting in their fucking retina you know comics isn't it and i think we i've got a friend of mine he's written a book on literacy and reading comics you know and it is a real thing that helps kids you know reading ages to be higher because they associate words with with words with pictures you know and it allows from an early start yeah yeah definitely is man so interestingly he he claims he was an overweight kid um but he shook that off and became significantly cooler and he hitchhiked across the u.s and even attended woodstock which in typical shaking fashion he said didn't really like it was too muddy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, he likes his shoes doesn't he uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he then um, had heard that Eli Katz aka Gil Kane's assistant had died and he says in, in typical sort of youthful fashion he just rung him up and said I hear your assistant's died do you need a new one um, yeah. and he ended up working on Black Mark at the time um, I think filling in blacks and stuff like that is that right Johnny I don't know. Is that right? yeah, yeah yeah and it's really interesting you mentioned assistant so um, his assistant Kane's assistant, um, aye, he was 21 when he died of an undiagnosed heart ailment. His name was Tim Batters, Tim Battersby. And just as a callback to our earlier episode about Steve Ditko, right. Tim Battersby, um, like Chicken talks about how, how he was going to be a really big deal, Tim Battersby was the guy who drew the Mr. A parody in Wits End number 7, oh, Mr. Wow. Master of Mayhem by Steve Dictato, or Dictato, 
Wow, that is well amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And oh, that cool. Ditko thing's interesting as well because, um, yeah, Chicken was a big Ditko fan as a kid. The Spider Man, he stopped reading Spider Man when, when Ditko left. Yeah, yeah, how cool. Now, he, he, at his own admission, Gil Kane becomes a huge influence and. Um, he, he he has he's referred to him as a father figure. He's referred to him as an influence. He's referred to him as a um, a number of things. But um, he also, I think, I read the quote of him um, in that on. Well, I heard the quote. I heard him say on that Alex Toth podcast, the most influential man on his life um, was yeah. Gil Kane, which is interesting. But they had um, a difficult. They didn't have. Now that's wrong to say. I don't want to say difficult because he just had a. Kane was just weird in some ways, wasn't he? You know, he and. And, and and quite fractious in attitudes and things like that. But his own admissions shaken learned an awful lot during that time, you know. Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, aye, I mean, he, he talks about aye, standing on the shoulders of giants and it was Gil Kane, Wallace Wood, Gray Morrow, Neil Adams and Joe Orlando. Yeah. And Joe Orlando was there because um, he was what he called the rabbi of DC Comics. He taught him how to deal yeah. with Cameron Infantino, who despised Gil Kane, because Gil Kane and Cameron Infantino had known each other since they were boys as well. That's it, yeah. Back when I think Bill Kane was Eli Katz. Um, so, aye, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's really, really clear, and, and not just in what he says, but also the pattern of behaviour from Chaikin onwards. And I think you see that most clearly in his use, of his, his, his use and attitude towards um, learning and teaching yep. and his uh, mentoring of assistants. Who, I mean, it's I mean, it's ridiculous when you look at the, the folk that he he mentored as assistants, and I mean, I went in his um, paradigm into practice comics course as well, and he's, and you know, I used to be a teacher. He is one of the best teachers I've ever had. Wow. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, the guy, the guy, the guy's incredible. Um, but that definitely comes from from Kane. It's a learned behaviour from Kane. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is an element of you've got to be cruel to be kind sometimes as well. I think you know you you we can't we can't um, give everyone a cuddle all the time, as I'm fond of saying, you know, in relation yeah. to reviews. And I think you've got to, you've got to point out mistakes sometimes, you know. Um, and I think that that then reflects into the fact that you know, Chicken at times will look for the respect he deserves. Yes, okay. and that's you know, it, it, as in you know, it's that you know. The, the story I've told a couple of times, you know, from one a Birmingham con where somebody went up and said, oh, a sketch just of anything, please. And they went, you know, well, name something I've worked on. And the guy couldn't. And he was like, going, oh, I want you to stand in the corner and think about that. So it's like, you know, and he made the guy basically Google him and find something out. You know, about him and, and it was like, no, I deserve respect because, you know, I've done my time. And I think, again, that's that whole, I've worked with people and I had to give them respect when they, they showed the effort. So you should show me the respect as well. I've got um, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you totally, man. There, yeah. Um, he, he's he's quite a mischievous guy as well, um, though, yeah. and that's kind of his. his he's got a very devilish sense of humour. That came out in that that course we're on. Can I tell the quickly the Dean Haspiel? Yeah, please do. Story? Then I've got a quick story about him, and then we'll 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 rock on a bit more with his uh, bio. So, yeah, so yeah. So Dean Haspiel, who is, is, is a great cartoonist in his in his own right, I love his stuff. Um, he was assistant to um, both Howard Chaikin and, and Walt Simonson. Um, but about 82, in fact, no, I tell a lie, it would have been about 83, and Dean Haspiel was would have been 17 at the time. Yeah, they had like a and table he, in the middle of Upstart Studios, didn't they? With sort yes, of, yeah. yes, aye, aye. So um, Larry Strowman was assistant at the time as well, and Larry, Larry or Lenny? Larry O'Neill, who was Denny O'Neill's son. 
Oh, right. Um, who Haspiel was friends with, and that's how he got into, you know, upstart studios and stuff. Um, and Dean Haspiel tells this story of he knew Sir Law, he'd help them out, he'd work in background, so he helped out in a couple of the Frog the uh, Frog Thor issues of Thor for Walt Simonson. And from issue 15 onwards, he, Strowman and O'Neill, helped out as assistants on um, American Flag. Um, but what they used to do is like like Simonson and Jake, like you know, Jake loves his music, and he would they would listen to their music during the day. But to make uh, them feel more welcome, they would let them play some music during the day, like a track. And what what um, Dean Haspiel would play was this um, forty five by Prince. Right. Um, so one day he went in, and there was Larry Strowman and Walter Simonson. <laughs> they were taken there. And Howard Chaik, it got to sit down the day and Howard Chaik said, why, why don't you put on one of, you know, that song you like? So he put on The Prince in uh, 45. And all of a sudden he heard this noise coming from the corner and it was Walt Simonson. And Walt Simonson stood up and punched his table and went, I have told you, I hate this song. <laughs> why are you playing this song? I have said, do not play this song. I hate this music. And he walked across to the record player. He scratched the needle right across the the um, the record. He picked it up and smashed it in his hands, and turned round and started screaming at Dean Haspel, like a seventeen-year-old kid who's crap in his pants. And then they all start laughing. And Howard Chaykin pulled out an LP by Prince and, and gave it to him as a present. <laughs> um, and Dean Haspel said that's when he felt accepted by them. So I think that thing, like that intimidating thing with Jake and Zeph, he loves. It's a very it's, uh, New Yorkers. Not all New Yorkers. They're always busting each other's balls. I believe is the it's, phrase. It's, it's it? a very. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so yeah. similar to Glasgow. It's yeah. so similar exactly. to Glasgow. It's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I went there, I was like, people. Well, they thought I was Irish most of the time. To be fair, <laughs> but seemed to love the fact that just ripped the piss out of each other. Yeah, yeah. Time. We live for it, don't we? Some of us. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You definitely got it as well. I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my my very quick. I'm going to tell my very quick story because I can't really name who it's about, but the, I've only had it secondhand from the person who experienced this. So there was two people who made a comic, and honestly, man, this comic was awful. It was terrible, and. um they, in typical UK small press fashion, they they didn't believe that. They believed it was amazing and were shopping it around to everyone and trying to get on, you know, podcasts and reviews and all this sort of thing. And uh, they just happened to have a table next to um, Howard Chaykin at London Super Comic Con. Now I didn't, I, I I spoke to Chaykin at that, but I didn't speak to them at it. And afterwards, I bumped into them in a comic shop, and I said, um, "Oh." Uh, how is it being next to Howard Chaykin? Must have been great. He, he's amazing. And they went, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so, all right, okay. And I said, um, and, what, and why do you say that? And they said, well, we showed him the comic and I held it open and showed him it. And he says, take that away from me. I can't even look at it. It's so awful. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I said, oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Like that. And I remember thinking, thank fuck he told them because I wasn't going to. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, 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 he was he was at Glasgow Comic Con a few years ago, and I just done the original verse of United, and my mate was was there like he's a musician, and he was like, oh, just go and show him it, just go and show him it, because I was like, fuck this, have a chicken. I was like, I am not showing my girl a chicken. And Eric Larson was sitting next to him. My mate ran over to Eric Larson, oh, can my mate show you his comic? And Eric Larson's like, like sure. And I was like, oh, Christ, Eric Larson's got this 
intimidating reputation as well. And he was lovely. He was so, so nice. Oh, nice. I was so glad I never saw the terror taken. Yeah. He would have ripped it in half and rightly so because crap. But you um, need that. You need that criticism. Do you know what I mean? I think to be fair, you didn't see this comic. They were talking. He was looking at man. It was fucking. It hurt you, my you eyes. Need to, you need. To, you need to have a thick skin. Yeah. At some point, someone's going to tell you, and it's better coming from someone who really, really, really knows what they're talking about. Very few people um, know comics as well as Howard Chaykin. Yeah. That that man. Un, that man is. I would say. I would say understands comics more than more than. Alan Moore, for example. Yeah, I think you're right, man. The guy, the guy's so learned. Let's uh, move on to discover why. So um, he became, as we've discussed, Gil Kane's assistant for some time, Um, and then he moved on for a short time, and was also Wally Wood's assistant. Um, And he would actually inked over him on a western strip called Shattuck, which is actually quite Mm -hmm. good. It's quite saucy, actually. It's a bit sort of topless ladies kind of thing that went in like a forces magazine, as I understand it. Yeah, soldier, soldier magazine was it something like that? Yeah. 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 And then he, um, then he um, helped out, became the assistant for Gray Morrow, who he describes as like the world's nicest person. And he ghosted over a lot of Morrow's um, pencils and did some uh, over his pencils and inked stuff and penciled for him. And he helped out on the first ever man thing in Savage Tales, which I didn't realise, which is pretty cool. Mm. Um, he did a lot of fanzine work. If you can get a hold of it, he's in a couple of issues of Infinity. Um, and work soon followed. So he worked, I think it came out the same week, was Fear Number 10 from Marvel and Dark Mansion Number 7 from DC. Just so it happened with sort of scheduling that they came out in the same week. Um, interesting, he... Um, I, which on, was sorry. a book that we randomly, randomly picked when we were looking at the DC app. Weren't it just? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that now. Yeah, how weird. Yeah, and... There's a little bit of him in there, but it's not immediately identifiable as Chaykin, no, is it, Al? You, you wouldn't have picked it as Chaykin unless you were told. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, for a while, he became a neighbour of Paul Kupperberg's, and um, who Kupperberg says, I don't know what he thinks about me, but I thought of him as my best friend. And I thought that's the nicest thing I've ever heard. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, well, I'm hopefully going to be interviewing Paul Kupperberg in a couple of weeks, so I'm definitely going to ask him about that. Oh, I mean, that's, that's exciting. Very exciting, and, yeah. Yeah, really exciting, yeah, yeah. He's working on, he worked, then worked on Sword and Sorcery, um, which is kind of, people consider his sort of breakout, really, which was a sort of, a movement into the Conan um, trend, I'm going to say. And um, he was slow on that in at his own admissions and made use of some of the Krusty Bunkers um, people over at um, Continuity. And to ink some of his pages, uh, he had that brief moment on Kill Raven that we mentioned again. Um, then DC again, we had Weird Worlds with Iron Wolf. Um, then 1974, we had Star Reach, um, edited by and run by Mike Friedrich, and he, we had Cody Starbuck um, and Gideon Faust. Cody Starbuck, I'm going to say, is an early flag, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but some of the page design, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, also, interestingly enough, um, Cody Starbuck. Um, Cody Starbuck was a an early influence for Han Solo as well, according, that is, according to George Lucas. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, George Lucas was a fan of um, Starbuck, and I didn't I didn't know this until recently. But part owned a comic book shop. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Um, and this led on to Star Wars, um, which he worked on from stills and a script, and did an okay job. I mean, the Wookies in it look a bit off model, don't they, and stuff like that. But I remember loving it as a kid. Yeah. yeah, Lucas requested him specifically for yeah. it as well, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, because of that, he loved his comics so much yep. and Star Reach, yep. yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's the interesting thing. He then went off and worked in 
sort of illustration. He did some graphic novels with Moorcock and stuff like that, didn't he? And he went away and did some um, uh, like novel covers and stuff like that, didn't he? Um, which yeah, if, you, face, uh, if you buy the, yeah. the Art of Howard Chaykin in hardback, there's a lot of them in there. They're, some of them are gorgeous, man. I'm not sure how good the books are, but the covers seem to seemingly are pretty fucking great. <laughs> um, yeah, and then he had this benefit of meeting Mike Gold in a convention, you know, waiting area and, and got offered flag. And, um, and that's, and that's where we are now. Now, one of the, one of the periods he worked in, and we, we touched on it earlier was Upstart Studios, which sounds like, um, sounds like a great fucking deal. I was sort of, I don't know, more workman like pumping out the, the sort of monthly comics than the studio to me. I mean, everyone talks about the studio, don't they? But Upstart Studios yeah. seems to be like more of a cool thing. I'd rather have been there, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. So he, well, in it's, that... It's more the fact that the studio was, uh, I was going to say, was an, art, was an art thing. Yeah. They were producing, you know, they were, you know, or they, I don't think their direction was comics, while Upstart was very much, they were here to make comics. Yeah. I think yeah. it's partially the thing there that... Yeah, so you know, there with him was. The studio I mean, and 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 the guys you you can see the guys. There's stuff there in that sort of cross pollinates across them all. So you had Simonson, who obviously I see a lot of a lot of Chaykin stuff in with his work. Yeah. Um, Mayerick, Miller, and even Stalin. You know, they've got that sort of sci weird sci-fi sensibility thing going on as well. Um, mm. And like you say, um, Aspiel. Uh, and also Peter Cooper was an assistant in there for a while as well. I think Lynn Varley appeared. Um, mm -hmm. And there, there was quite a few people who came and went from that studio. Yeah. There was clearly something about that studio that they, they were all influenced such that they draw big chins. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because, you know, every one of them has, has had a, you know, a primary character that's ended up with a big chin. I yeah. don't know why. It's, 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 it's all... Yeah, from from Thor through to um, you know. Well, if you if you look at that, oh gosh, I can't remember the. I think it's the twenty fifth anniversary issue, um, a Marvel Comics. They had that border, I think, which had been drawn by. I'm not too sure who drew. It actually looks like Alex Saviak, but I think Johnny okay. Meat was involved. And it was a close up of each character. And Thor's in the front with his beard. It really does look like Walter Simonson. Oh, okay. <laughs> a, mus yeah. a muscular version of Walter Simonson. And, and it's interesting, like the two ones out of them all that get mentioned most in interviews with Shaken is Walt Simonson. And I find that really interesting because I think out of them all, Walt Simonson and Shaken have the strongest sense of graphic design, yeah. arguably. Yeah. But also, the only other person that I can think of that has such a strong relationship with a letterer that's so incorporated into the graphic design yeah. of the page it's Ken Brusenak, Howard Chaykin, is Walter Simonson and John Workman. Yeah, the Workman Simonson thing is comparable very much so to, um, to them, isn't yes. it? Yeah. And yes. also in the way that the sound effects become part of the landscape. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. Absolutely. yeah, very interesting. That. I, I, I actually think when you think about it, probably, I know Stalin does the odd thing and I know Miller does the odd thing, but it was, it's kind of... Chaykin and Simonson are the two sort of survivors of that group, really, aren't they? Oh, yeah, they're absolutely. Ones. I was going to say, yeah. you're totally right. They're the ones with it. And, and Chaykin said that himself. Right. Out of them all, those are the two that have lasted longest that are still producing, you know. And it's and again, they're cartoonists. It's not like, yeah. I mean, I'm absolutely not dismissing any other folk have produced, but it's it's not like moving into writing with doing layouts and stuff. They're still cartoonists. They're still producing relevant um, 
fantastic work. Um, I think I think they're both, both. I mean, Ragnarok by Samus is incredible. Beautiful. Kids comics is incredible as well. It's, yeah. it's, it's, oh my god, they're so good. Yeah, I think um, Bendis said many of Howard's peers have retired or lost yes. their mojo. I think is the phrase I got from him, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, let's move into some of the themes of um, of American Flag now, because I knew I knew we'd go long. Al, look what's happened. <laughs> you warn me. Um, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone described um, on Goodreads. I love Goodreads is one of the few places I actually quite enjoy reading reviews. You know, it's not like the comment section on YouTube. But someone had written, it's a bit like Judge Dredd, but weirdly cooler. And I thought, oh, I like that. Yeah. And that weirdly cooler thing leads into that um, almost stereotypical noir nostalgic vibe that we get through not only Flag, but a lot of the work, you know, in Times Square and Black Kiss and stuff mm-hmm. like that and the, and the Shadow. Um, is that do you think guys a roadblock to modern tastes is it going to stop a current person enjoying it because it's got that sort of super retro look to it do you think long silence um, <laughs> no I don't think it is in that right. because actually, you know, a lot of the costumes and, and design in that hasn't really dated okay okay there was a belief clearly there was a belief in the late late 70s early 80s that punks were going to survive forever but that's never right <laughs> yeah. you know, every uh, every sci-fi will... gang is, is a gang of punks yeah. aren't they yeah yeah, you know, yeah. And, and maybe they will come round again you know the fashion fashion is but I, I think i don't think that puts people off because i don't think in, in the same way that people are able to go back to movies like Total recall or you know it, Westworld and all that sort of stuff. Mm. That that's picking up on, you know, in terms of the denseness of storylines and the like that, that exist in here. I think where we are in terms of the actual general comic reading public at the moment, mm-hmm. they probably would struggle with it in terms of saying it is a, it is a heavy going book and it's going to take you a while to get into it. It's not fucking manga, um, is it? That's the thing. Yeah. In well, in one way, no, but in another way. There's enough dynamism in the art. The art, there's a lot of motion and movement. So from from that side of it, there is a there is a manga esque piece to it of the you know the, the, it's, the it's motion highly, in the art, which, highly which sexual as well, which I suppose leads into that dynamic in a way. You know, yeah, yeah which probably gives it some issues in terms of of where you position it nowadays and whether people think it's the you know. But to be fair, the female characters are all empowered, um, and. You know, they, they, they call a lot of the shots in terms of the, the sexualization. I mean, I actually so think in Flag that he's the victim. He's, he's, they're sharks in this, the women. You know, you've only got to look at the, what yeah. happens on page 12 in this. You know, it's, it's like, um, he's walked into a strip club. They know what they're doing. They're going to take advantage. I mean, he lets them, let's face it. Mm. But yeah, yeah. They're, right, they're so that's, quite... that's, aye, quite a few folk have picked accused them of being sexist because it's a depiction of women in American flag because women just seem to fall into bed with, with flag. But I mean, the thing he's, he's explained in interviews and I absolutely believe him having seen photos of him when he was younger and seen and, and experiencing firsthand how charismatic the guy is. A lot, a lot of the non-action sequences in flag are based on his own experiences and um, experiences of his close friend. And I absolutely don't think it's wish fulfillment. I think that's, that's exactly from, from life. That, and, and again, it's a very different, um, time it was he also mentioned this in another interview he was talking about it was it was the pH time so sexual attitudes were just completely different particularly yeah. in New York at that period so I don't think it's sexist I, I, I just maybe it's maybe it reflects well, that's, that's like, part of, it's almost part of the narrative and a part of the satire is the fact that sex yeah. sex is is so common because you can take a pill and avoid 
STDs and you can take a pill, in, mm. pill immediately and avoid whatever, you know. Oh. And also that first incident where he gets the blowjob off the madam, you know, is um, where he's described as being, he'll never be at half-mast, whatever she says. Um, yeah. He, um, that's filmed because it's that's also part of the, you know, he, yeah, was, yeah, he yeah. was sort of, pre, you know, he was, he was predicting reality television, you know, and, yep. and, and leaked sex tapes. Even yeah, the bench bomb. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, how does he, how do you, from a sort of story beats narrative point of view, how do you feel about the um, erotic nature of this? I, as a, as a sort of, I think I was twelve or something when I read it. As a twelve-year-old reading it, I was like, oh my god, you know, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, there's a, there is a specific dopamine effect that I was given as a twelve-year-old, twelve, fourteen-year-old reading this and thinking, this is amazing. This is going to keep me reading. You know. And these the lingerie the lingerie ladies are great, and they do even appear on the covers of this book. You know, I almost, almost felt a bit yeah. naughty for buying it. I think you know. Yeah, but you can see the same thing. I mean, look at the way um, Flag dresses in his uniform, with how tight his pants are, and his cowboy boots and stuff yeah. as well. He's 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 just he's as equally as an erotic figure as as a woman. He's in a state of undress through it too. Um, it's interesting, like talking about the sex side of it. It reminds me of what Moore has said about comics as well, and the comment about American comics, what why they're so weirdly, and I suppose it applies to pop culture, why it's so weirdly obsessed with violence. It's fine to show gratuitous violence, but people are so strangely depressed when it comes to showing sex in comics. And Chaikin's talked about that a lot. Yeah, that readers like the cheesecake stuff, um, the the pinup stuff but don't like seeing this sort of relationship or, or seduction side of it. The thing the thing about Chaikin that really makes me think is that he, he's a very overtly external thinker who focuses on sensuality. And you can compare that to someone like Ditko, who's a very covertly internal thinker who focuses on rationality. Right. Um, but, but they're equally cerebral in their approach okay. to comics, I think. Yeah, there's an interesting quote you said average readers get very itchy when you bring up the subject yes. of actual human desire as yes. a concept which is a great quote yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. he's but not wrong flag flag i think it's it's just pretty well handled because mm. I, yes. I don't think it breaks the story beats i think it moves the story along it helps establish the interrelationships between all the different characters well it's got that noir concept the women are always after yeah. something aren't they you know? yeah yeah don't get don't me wrong when when i read black kiss that for me was too far, right? <laughs> right. But that, you know, I just didn't enjoy it. But that, you know, as a, as a reading experience, so that there is there is a line, uh, and flags very much over the the first line, if you like, which is the making it an uh, an adult book in terms of you know some of the themes that are in there. But it's not so far over that you're going. This is taking me out of actually the story. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. And, yeah, I mean, in Black a, Kiss, the, the story is sexual, isn't it? A lot of it. You know, it, mm, yeah. it, it's so much hyped um, up to that point. Yeah. yeah. Not hyped, it, amped it, up. Yeah. If you compare that, the approach towards sex and violence in Watchmen and the approach to sex and violence in American Flag, there's a much more playful, um, sensual approach in Flag, I, I would argue. Um, maybe in the second. Um, <laughs> the second arc in issues four to six, yeah. it's get it's starting to get towards some of the themes you'd explore in, in Black Kiss, um, but certainly in Hard Times, it's it's fun and and 
there's certainly a lot in there I relate to um, and don't think so out of the ordinary. But times have changed. Those sexual attitudes have changed a lot. I mean, have you seen what girls wear on the high street in, you know, Croydon at a weekend these days? You know what I mean? It's nothing compared to these women dressed in, you know, suspenders, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, or, or, what, or what I'm wearing to Nottingham Comic Con as well. To <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> dressed as a cowboy. Um, yeah. So, um, now, if you take, if we take, um, flag as a sort of let's call it a covert opener to the world of new comics you know dark knight especially um is it purely original i mean it's kind of dread isn't it no i wouldn't say it's original no but there's a dread do you think he'd seen dread at all or you know we said it's english comic from british comic fans don't we you know aye um it's it's interesting i've read a lot about his influences and again um, I think that Toth in depth interview is one of the best places where he, where he talks about the kind of visual influences and like um, like being Alex Toth, Walt, Wallace Wood, and John Severin. And I think the John Severin stuff comes in a lot, maybe latterly, but you can definitely see the Toth in this. Yeah. Um, but also guys like um, like reading a lot of his stuff when he was talking about Robert Fawcett. Yeah. And he talks about how in this. This is when, and it's specifically the splash page in issue two, is when he decoded and deciphered Robert Foss, Robert Fawcett's almost mathematical approach to drawing. Yeah, um, I've got the Fawcett book that he's mentioned quite a few times as well, and I can see what he's talking about because what Fawcett—it's not really an instruction manual on in how to draw; it's an, an instruction manual on how to think about drawing. In this, um, he says that, doesn't he? That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, qu- and he quotes means- Mike McGuinness and Fuchs and all these sort of guys as well, doesn't he? His, his influences, who are not automatically yeah. influences to anyone these days, you know. Yeah. Mm. So, so the one in, in what was the other ones he mentioned as well was that. Um, oh God, his visual influences came from architecture, graphic design, magazine illustration, fashion, and you can see all that in there. Yeah, he's very um, fashion orientated. He, he admits that himself, doesn't he? He, he, yeah. he talks a lot um, about that. Yeah, there, there's a lot of this that, 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 that has that feel. So your, your question was, is this original? And it, yeah. or, and I, I would agree, it's not. But that what? that's not that it's that it, it's a, a pastiche of anything. It, it's very much a no. case of it's playing on existing tropes and existing story stories that people would be, you know, the you know new gunslinger in town, new sheriff in town. Yeah, everyone's going. Oh, that's not original, but yeah, okay. Oh, but it's set in the the near future. Okay, that's not original, but having this, they put the two together. Oh, and yeah. it's got this this um, murder mystery piece as well. Oh, that's not original, but yeah, you know, you know, it, and each one of those individual bits, you kind of go, yeah, I'm comfortable with understanding where everything sits in this storyline. Yeah. yeah, and aligned the, with the, the execution of it as well. I think that's the the, the key yeah. point, isn't it? You know, and and again, it is you know, so it's it, it's it is again, it's I keep using the word pulp. It is pulp to that extent where there's nothing original in any of the pulps. They start becoming you know, self-referential in their own themselves, and yeah. this is just you know, an extension of that. So I think, I think anybody going back to read this who has read Watchmen or whatever and or read a lot of a lot of comics and then says, right, I've not done flag, can I go back to it? Would go, yeah, I'm quite comfortable to get into this. I can see it, whatever. It's a nice, you know, and it, it, it's really enjoyable and see how they how it ties to the history and everything. Not entirely sure I would say to somebody who'd never read any comics, this is the first comic you should read. <laughs> yeah. Um but again anybody that, that that's reading adventure books or, or, or you know that 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 storyline of saying you know, what you know what happens in the future when Amazon takes over and everything's yeah you know, 
it's Castle, a sort of, world's gone to Mars and stuff. Yeah, it'd be the sort of comic that I would give to someone who'd read a load of hard case crime books, you know, for example, yeah. and yeah, also had an interest exactly. in sci-fi. And I'd say, well, you'll dig this, man. This is, you know, this is yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you know it's, it's it's funny when you're saying about originality to me. I'm going to use another word which I normally don't like using is it's not to me about originality, it's about innovation. And there's a lot of innovativeness in this. Okay. In the way that he uses um, not just stuff we spoke about already, like um, sound effects, graphic design, but specifically things like inset panels, um, negative space, um, the way that he treats the page as a unit and not just a collection of panels. And for me, one of the things, I, I don't really see the pulp stuff quite so much, but it's the, it's the newspaper strip stuff, the adventure yeah. paper strip, which you mentioned, obviously, in terms of the actual influence of the story with Terry and the pirates. And we're talking the same there. The same there yeah, 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 but, yeah. Um, but um, there's a lot of Roy Crane in there, specifically if okay. you look at Roy Crane's scrapbooks. And the use of dual tone is a really good example of it, as well as the design of the, the characters. But the way that he t- takes, translates... The composition of newspaper strips and applies it to the bigger page that to me is is innovative and that that alone and there's a lot more in there that alone takes us to a new level of comics and i'm not entirely sure um there's been uh, comics since then apart from maybe times squared i've, I've, I've read black kiss um, I think Cheek and Cheek and said he got a lot more formalised in his, his approach as he got older, particularly when he came back to comics in 2002. Um, there's very few comics that... I think there was a lot of comics, particularly image comics, which tried to take a similar approach to page design, but it became more about... Not about storytelling. It was about the money shot. Um, okay. m- more than anything else, it was a misunderstood application of what he tried to do. So you got a lot of incomprehensible storytelling because it's all about, you know, it's about how good it looks to sell the page rather than how good it looks. But the material is always in service of the narrative, which is what he took from Toth. It's um, it's really tight, isn't it, what he's doing on yes, the page there? Incredible. You know, when you it's compare incredible. it to what, you know, seven years later when the world went mental and everything was about, you know, the worst page designs, you know. Yeah. This really is. And you were saying there, man, about he used something called craft tint duo shade illustration boards, yes. I read today, which yes. I don't know what they are, but do you know what they are? Or Yes, yes. And, and that, I think, if you if you look at, I would recommend anyone um, pick up the Buzz Sawyer collections, um, which okay. 11 o'clock comic, Vince, and that talks about them a lot. Yeah. Um, I would recommend picking them up. And also, if you were to search online for just Roy Crane's scrapbooks, um, I've got some stuff from it. I'm trying to compile a bootleg version of it just now because the University of Syracuse um, has got all Roy Crane's files and oh, I tried right. to get hold of them, um, but I need the permission of one of his daughters <laughs> to get them, which I'm obviously not going to get. Um, I would look at that as well as studying Kenneth, Terry and the Pirates, as well as Steve Canyon, and you will see a lot of influence in, in American Flag. But what he does with that it's just incredible and it's just you can always see where it comes from because he talks about the time he was a big stoner and he was a drunk and you can see he is sitting about stoned and it's forming in his head all these disparate themes and putting it together in this 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 fog and that's what comes out i think it's, I think it's incredible yeah. it's one of the best comics i've ever read yeah i agree man i i have a few theories about about flag and about um Chaykin's characters and it's something I put to Pat yeah. as well when 
I've put I've spoke to him about it as well, and I've also something that he Ian and I discussed when we did the Slain episode is Pat often talks about all the characters of Slain are delineated by the artists that draw them, and I actually said to him that's not the case, Pat. The the different eras of Slain are put together by you. This is you at different stages in your life, and it's it's comparable to um, Moorcock's Eternal Champion stories, where um, you know all these characters are different stages of almost the same person. And I feel the same way about a lot of his characters. For example, I feel the same way that the Scorpion, Dominic Fortune, Cody Starbuck, Flag, you know, and a, and yeah. a couple of others are just different eras of an extension of his of of Chaykin's personality, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I enjoy it the more for that because I know when I open the page and there's this dude with sort of great hair and you know broad shoulders and whether he's got glasses or not but it just feels to me like oh there here we go it's shaking back again I'm at home again almost you know yeah there's there's other thing as well so that a few interviews he talked about that time when he was ill when he was 13 as well and he would talk about the gangster films the Warner Brothers gangster films that would be shown yeah. on Channel 5 in New York and he would talk about how um, a lot of it was the same cast playing different characters. And that's how I also see Jake and... Um, you see that with other um, cartoonists too. It's like you have, uh, I suppose, American... Is that American Horror Story, does it now? With the same cast playing different characters. That repertory right. theatre okay. approach. Yeah. That's yeah, in Jake and comics as well. Like He's casting almost like the same actor in those roles. And when he get asked about it, I think he's mentioned a couple of interviews, but certainly the Toth and Depth one, talked about how William Holden, Henry Fonda, and James Garner represented a very particular form of American ma- masculinity. Yeah. Um, and that's what's in there. And that's, I think, maybe where the wish fulfillment is for um, Flag. It is his in-panel persona, but it's the six-foot-two version. It's the James Garner version. Garner rocks, it. man. I love Garner. He's so good. Yeah. Um, I, I, do, I do love it in Rockford Fells when he's... He's obviously not in shape. He's not in Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Universe shape. He's not in the chicken diet. And he's trying to run somewhere or in a fight scene. It's just the charisma and the the easy charm and just that cleft in the chin and just, God, I love Jim, uh, James Garner. He's brilliant. Right, so so let's... At that that point, I was going to say the the, the chicken thing, using this... It's not about using a cookie cutter to to draw everybody exactly the same. But no, the, no, no. the concept of saying it's the same actor, because yeah. if you actually look at the way he draws Batman and the way he draws Superman mm. as well when he's, he's done them, it, again, it has that, that that presence element where you would say it was the same, you know it's chicken. This is the thing. Yeah. 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 Anyway, let's move on. Good. Well, let's um, move on to just, we're going to talk about a couple of pages that we like. Um, I'm sure we'll probably pick the same one, to be fair. Um and um, and then we're going to see if we can recommend anything else that he's done. I know you're a fan of a couple of other things, Johnny. So over to you, Al. Is there any is there anyone any particular pages in this collection that you thought that just really really stunned you as you were reading through it? And then you can so think there's, of. There, there's one quite early on. Sadly, the version I have does not have page numbers. Ah, right. Um, but it's it's um, basically the, the just after he's, he's he's landed on in, in Chicago, and it's the whole movie poster-esque behind them with yes. Mark Thrust, Sexist Ranger. This is the one with um, the apps in it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that kind of just set it up to say, by the way, this is 
adventure time is happening now you know let's get going you know it's, yeah. it, because it creates that whole thing of saying yeah he is he's bond for the next generation he's you know it, and it just had that that great way of particular where it occurs in the book as a sort of early starting point just to, to kick through it's almost yeah, there's almost like it. it's almost about the nearest thing you get to sort of a max headroom moment moment in this don't you you know this yeah, sort of yeah. over advertising in your face media thing yeah i know what you mean yeah, yeah. What, what about you john oh god um <laughs> all of it um in the first issue the page i like best um is probably well it's it's page 21 in the original issue and it's showing um some a scene from bob violence yeah and it's showing um krieger getting annoyed because he's been distracted from watching the vid um, and then Ruben's walking away, talking to Raoul. Oh, it's yeah. just a beautiful, beautiful um, kind of mid-range shot, like full-figure shot of um, Flag talking to Raoul, and a close-up with some beautiful application of um, duo tone of Flag, and then I'm crouching down and um, speaking to Raoul, and it's, it's got the Gauguin clock countdown in it as well. That um, um, that image, that close up of his face, is something that um, Piscor and Rug talk about on the cafe, oh, and they so say good. he's he's always got an eyebrow up, and he does occasionally yeah. do that, doesn't he? He does like a, a, a sort yeah. of a curious eyebrow, yeah. Yeah, but it's also if you look at the the handle of the gun, um, oh, that's yeah. the one that's popping out of the um, panel. It's breaking the panel border, so it's to remind mm. that violence is there and action's about to happen as well. And the second issue, God, you, you regret asking me this. Oh, man, right. <laughs> the okay. second issue, page 11. Um, so it's just the use of the integration of lettering into the graphic design of the page and the use of it to add another layer to the storytelling is mind-blowing to me. Yeah, And it's also hilarious because you've got... So a flag is in the toilets having sex with the bride's sister. Um, <laughs> so you hear some funny dialogue. And in the front, the front door of the ladies' toilets, it says ladies, madams, dames, uh, damas, skirts, twist, frails, um, and then something I can't read because of the word balloon. And then the next panel is, you know, blam, blam, chow, kachow, brata, 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 and then someone shouting flags, and it's the flag um, titles, and then he's bursting out the toilet, and you see in the background women pulling up her, <laughs> her skirt. And then it's just an action scene which uses, um, it's got um, flag in the bottom tier, breaking the panel borders with his gun again. Yeah. Um, but also it then forms a um, polyptic um, as well, which is where you show multiple images with a figure kind of moving. Right, um, okay. Through. So yeah. that's where you start to see something that Chaikin talks about a lot, which is um, how time is presented on the page. Um, but also the use of deep space as well on the page. Almost, so almost shouldn't work, but does. You know, because yeah, you're travelling through the panels doesn't quite work, but he, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get that right. That's an absolute mess. Yeah. Because, and again, when I was talking about those three different layers in his storytelling, it's it's the it's the plot. Um, so, so it's the representation of the story through the dialogue. And then it's the visuals, and then it's the combination of the visuals and the story, and then it's the application of the graphic design on top of that that integrates the lettering. It's it's it's, it's masterful. Um, and then the last page I would pick 
because I'm a sorry, just on that piece as well, because the last point is the, the the last speech bubble, which is just the the, the the actual funny then comedy line thrown in as well. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, just met your sister. Which is a bot, which is almost a bond line, but it's funnier. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the thing about Jake. Jake is very, very funny. He's one of the funniest. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's amazing back in tour. The last page I would pick would be, well, if you give me two pages, it'd be great. Is page eighteen in issue three, and it's the one where um, it's just a graphic design. That page, it's very much you can see it's come out of poster design so probably when he was doing the pulp covers earlier on um, it's not a McGuinness influence um, but it's just the way that he frames the page, page there's so much dialogue in there Yeah. Um, and the shape of the um, narration boxes and the white text on the, the black background for the narration boxes as well Ken Brusnick just absolutely nails it again the use of infographics in there as well and that's telling the story of um, oh my god, I've totally blanked on her name. Mandy? Aye, Mandy, sorry. Yeah. Kiger's daughter, her kind of childhood. And it's got um, a close up of Chicken, there you go, <laughs> a flag yeah. at the bottom. And they're thinking about it as well. And it's again that use of negative space. It doesn't show the full body shot, or, you know, it's showing just the gloves and the head. And again, the women in the background are integrated into the design of, of flag as well. It's just remarkable. It's yeah. just, it's showing, I mean, it, at that point where he was in his career, he could pretty much pull off anything. I mean, he really could. He was that good. He was, yeah, aye. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to give my, my shout-outs to, actually to two pages. So I think it's the third issue. I'm looking at it in the collected edition. But it's where he's driving along, and she just, like, hoiks her leg up. <laughs> I knew you'd go for I that. Knew that was, yeah. I was going to say, I thought it would be the next page. You would have gone for that. Well, that's, really where really I'm going, that's where I'm going with it. So she says, yeah. sort of, pull over, let's let's get it on, you know. And then he, he only uses what? Slightly less than a half a page to do a three-by-three, yeah. um, three, you know, a nine-panel grid. Um, then is something we see much later in Black Kiss, which is the because mm. obviously Black Kiss is black and white. This is in you know what pink, pinky red and white, pinky red and black, yeah. and um, it it it's sort of snapshots of a sexual encounter, without anything graphic, yeah. but you you can just tell one what's happening to he's done all right oh, yeah. there, my son, you know, yeah, um, and then yeah. you get the, the the lightning strike, which is the yeah. the money shot. In the next, yeah. the next, the, the Hitchcock style climax, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not the it. like, it's, it's quite funny as well. Um, you mentioned the colouring earlier on as well, and Lynn Varley, who obviously is a hugely celebrated colourist, yeah. Um, Leslie Zaller in issue three does an amazing job, yeah, it really does. It's be- beautiful colours. That page that you've just picked, yeah, out, lovely man. The colour, yeah. the colour transition's absolutely perfect because again, you've got. I mean, really essential colours, and the colour theory in that nine panel grid's unbelievable. Yeah, um, it really is. Cool, good stuff, guys. I, oh, look, we ran on. What a surprise! Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think we could, honestly, genuinely, think we could probably talk about this for another four hours. Um, we're not oh, going to. Yeah, but yeah, mm, it, 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 I have. In, I think you're the same, Al. You're the same. Johnny ingested so much shaking in the last couple of weeks. I I feel like I'm when I'm talking, I can hear his his voice in my head. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I've actually sort of started listening to musical theatre just because you know because of his influences. Um, <laughs> oh, I, uh, <laughs> um, I. Are there any other books that you'd like to mention by him that you've really enjoyed 
Um, because we've we've kind of gone up to flag and haven't gone past it with this, really, haven't we? Is there anything else sort of beyond that you've really enjoyed, guys? I know, um, hey, kids, comics is something you you're a big fan of, um, Johnny. Yeah. Oh God, I absolutely love it. Um, I mean, I Twilight that uh, Al mentioned earlier on. I mean, <laughs> even if you weren't a fan of checking just for Jose Luis Garcia Lopez's yeah. art, it's just. Mm. That's absolutely mind blowing in that. The spaceship. Oh my god. The spaceship design in that's just um uh, aye, it's it's incredible. Um what other chicken? I loved American Century I did with um Titchman. Yeah, um, I think that's a really well. good series. It's almost really, really I felt like a bit that. like it's sort of flag light in a way. I don't know why, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I, no, definitely because it's got that kind of I think that art and that's quite inconsistent. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the filling issues aren't. And, and just when I was reading it, I really wanted it to be drawn by Chaikin. Yeah. Yeah, um, agreed. Yeah. Desperate. Was, was he thinking out? He thumbnailed a lot of it, didn't he, for artists, he said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that kind of com- comes out, like the kind of layouts and stuff, but it's just not. It's not. The, I like Chaikin with, with like his art when there's that slight. I don't actually know, because Flag doesn't have that slight angularity um, to it. Yeah. Um, but but I, I love American Century. But yeah, Hey Kids Comics, I think, is incredible. Um, the artwork he did in Satellite Sam, which was what um, was it? Um, what's his face fraction des- described as um, Jake in fan fiction? Yeah, um, it does. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. That's, that's phenomenal. But, but Hey Kids Comics, I think, in terms of how good the storytelling is and how different it is from American Flag, I think it's incredible. But Times Squared as well is the other thing that's just. Bloody yeah. hell! Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, it's it's so complex, and we're still waiting so for the good. third one. I mean, we, the, the long story short on the reason we're doing this podcast is yeah. Alan and I podcast once a month, and I said, "What do you want to do next, Alan?" He said, "Well, why don't we do Flag?" And I said, "Well, I kind of promised Johnny that we'll do Times Squared, but mm-hmm. it keeps getting delayed. I mean, it's, it's almost it's almost at the point now it's been delayed a year." It's a um, issue now. I think it was paper. Paper. Um, there's a paper shortage, but now it right. seems to be some kind of rights issue. So I don't know if it's maybe maybe he reproduces music or something, or maybe it's something to do with the first oh, okay. comics rights. Um, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't he know. mentioned that one in the interviews I listened to. Anything you'd like to just recommend? Otherwise, Al. So the one, the one I think it's worth having, always worth having a look at, is so he was part of um, the solo collection from oh, DC. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. he did a standalone issue there, which means you can get. A number of short stories by him, so that's one that's worth um, worth jumping on. Cool, uh, and I'm going to recommend just because it's uh, when I actually had a few quid, suddenly I had a job, so I could buy stuff. Was the Wolverine, Nick Fury, the Scorpio collection? I just because oh, I dug it. Um, it was strangely enough, he says that and Black Kiss are the, the the two biggest money making books he did, which is interesting, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, and also I remember the James Bond Furies only. Um, he did in 81, <laughs> which is allegedly the one that caused him to have a big row with Jim Shooter and Storm out of Marvel gets thrown or Storm. It depends on the point of view of who you hear it from. Yeah, yeah. And that's the reason the relationship with Marvel ended for a while. Um, yeah. And I think it's people like Fraction and Bendis and that new new sort of late 90s, early 2000s wave of writers who recognised his genius and brought him back in. Um, I am going to quickly touch on the, the um, controversy uh, and I'm doing sort of finger... And I, I, I hate it, you know... Um, I don't. I think he was completely unfairly attacked by identitarians. I think that's that's plain. I think people, I mean, if they're yeah. not prepared to read a comic, they won't understand what's going on in it, and they have no reason to attack someone. I I absolutely take uh, take his side in relation to where he says that people had a go at him online, but uh, haven't had the bottle to say anything to his face. And um, 
just to continue my rant for one more sentence, I know that on the um, the kayfabe show, Ed Piscor said that wow. those leading the attack on shaking will never have a place on the kayfabe show, and I agree that those same people will never have a place as long as I'm breathing on this show or on the ACP. So I think it's just ridiculous, childlike baby talk. Um, and if you can't see the reason for doing it, then fuck you. Do you know what I mean? I, I think anyone that's ever listened to the man speak, yeah, um, or, or I've been lucky enough to meet him. He's my my, my experience of him was that he's, you know, the sense of humour aside, and yeah, the, aye, the tough love, um, comes across as inherently decent, um, learned, um, self-deprecating, and aye, kind. Yeah. Was situationally kind, he calls himself. Yeah. Um, and, and, and But also in interviews, you can tell he was very, very hurt by that. And also when you mentioned earlier on about not being recognised by the Eisner's yeah. um, hurt. He does, the guy does not get anywhere near the respect he's due. In, in a lot of ways, I do not mean from a personality point of view, because it is chalk and cheese. In many ways, in terms of influence and in terms of ability with regards to graphic design and storytelling, I think he's the closest thing you've got to um if Alex Toth had been good at writing, flag would have been Yeah. You if, know, if, in terms if, of quality. If Kubert was still alive and was a bit lively, you know, on podcast yeah. you know, there's a bit of that in there. Yeah, it'd be a shame. I mean, yeah. I mean the dude's seventy two now. Like keep breathing deep, I mean, but you know kids comics. I mean it's it's one of the best fucking comics in the last few years. It's just it's so good. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and again, it's it's so important because there's so much love of comics in there, but there's so much kind of about the history, the craft of comics as well. And I, I think Jaken, for so many different reasons, down to his, his, like as Al said, you know, the New York, his Judaism, um, as you said, it, you know, you talked about a lot about, you know, the connections with Kane, Wood. Um, Morrow, who's really forgotten. Yeah. Um, Adams, he's such a connection with the past that he's spoken about himself, but he's also someone that should be informing the future of comics. And, and you know, Marvel did used to get him and Klaus Janssen in to do um, storytelling um, tutorials with, with their talent. Um, well, I'm guessing that's not uh, happening anymore. I don't know. I mean, from the quality no, of the comics. No, but he's done this paradigm course. I mean, you know, I benefited from that. And I would yeah. certainly recommend anyone, you know, if, if they do that again, to, to do it. Because yeah. it's for, I couldn't believe there was only 20 folk in the sessions I was in. I was, I was, I was expecting hundreds. Like, you talk, this, this, when do you ever get the opportunity to listen to a master storyteller who also just happens to be arguably the greatest comics racking tour? <laughs> yeah, the guy is so funny and so articulate. <laughs> I would listen to him talking about taking a shit for an hour, and I'm sure yeah. I'd be pissing myself laughing. I, mean, I, I listened to him the other day for half an hour talking about what shows to see on Broadway. I got no fucking interest oh, at all in that. Do you know what I mean? It's like you know, I, I, I love just listening to him talk. I think he's he's great. But it's what's interesting though. He did actually train as a um, uh, as a was that a radio journalist or a disc jockey. That's that's what that's he studied. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's not surprising. I mean, the guy's incredible. I, I mean, the guy's an incredible orator. Good. Well, speaking of um, incredible conversationalists, um, the three of us are going to be at Nottingham Comic Con um, in a few days' time. If you listen to this as it's released, um, what will you have? What will you have for there for, for sale out? You, you'll have a full table again, will you? Oh, a full table of penguins, more. Uh... More penguin puns than you can check the proverbial stick at. And um, 
one or two other bits and pieces as well of um, of, of original art. So nice work, man. I'm looking forward to that. Are, are you gonna Are you gonna do a book between now and then, Al? <laughs> uh, you, you've no idea how much I've slowed down recently. That's another story for another day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's amazing what you do. I really do. Yeah, I love it, man. I think it's, yeah. it's incredible. The discipline and just, um, you know, and the talent. It's just, I honestly do not know. Always makes it. me it's laugh. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. really does. It's, yeah, yeah. Some of your stuff is just <laughs> so inspired and off the wall. It's like, where did they get that from? Yeah. It's genius. You're proper punk. Yeah. We know that, Al. That's the, that's the secret. <laughs> oh, that's the secret. Yeah. The, um, and also, me, Al, and Eamon, Eamon Clark, who you regularly hear on air from Mega City Book Club, are going to do a panel with Roger Langridge on um, autobiographical comics. So come along to that if you're at Nottingham. We'd love to see you. Come and, come and ask a que- stupid question. Um, and um, we'll be uh, interviewing Roger. You're going to interview him out, and I'm going to be I'm going to be sort of opening it. And Eamon's going to be running around with a microphone getting questions from the audience. So please come along because it's going to be a giggle. I'm going to be tabling for the ACP and for tribute with Mr. Falp. We've got a new comic out, um, Graphic Gospels, um, which is takes a new angle on um, reviewing comics. <laughs> You've not seen it, you two, yet, have you? Nope. No, it features the uh, the hero that is Keith Cumber. He's back in it again. So it's a complete and utter in-joke <laughs> between me and Falpy. That's the whole point of it. We don't really care whether anyone else... Uh, so we've completely ignored anything to do with anyone else enjoying our comics, just as long as we do. Um, what are you going to have, Johnny, on your table? Um, I'd aim to have finished um, my new book by then, but fat chances I've <laughs> really, really slowed down due to, oh my God, just a comedy of errors, including knocking myself um, unconscious with the garage door and spending a week with concussion. It's You're only just better now, and you're going to be all right to drive down. Uh, well, I don't drive. It's, it's, um, it's I'm going down with Stephen Ingram, who's going to be there as well. Um, Who's a shout out to him because he's also an incredible cartoonist as well. Yeah, good laugh. Um, yeah, he's a good guy. He's a great guy. Um, so I'm going to have the United um, Welcome to the Shit Show for sale, and <laughs> I'll have three sketches for anyone that buys a copy. So I've been working, although a couple of folk have actually bought some off me. Oh, good. You did a really nice flag the other day as well. A nice Reuben flag or so. Actually, I, I, I'm just joking with you in the WhatsApp thing. I really think it looks like Dempsey and Makepeace, and I was quite no. surprised by that because. I oh, know, I, I, I don't, well, you compare it to Jake and it's just like, it's not going to be as good, do you know what I mean? Um, so, aye, a, couple, aye, a few of those, I was very happy with how they turned out. I was a wee bit worried actually after concussion and also getting, uh, my prescription has changed, I get new glasses I hadn't had done since before lockdown. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Don't stop laughing at me. Um, no, that's good. <laughs> I get prescribed very focals for the first time and that has a huge impact and how you draw because it's the distance to the page and I was really struggling I was kind of getting not quite migraines but my eyes were struggling to focus and it's because I just had adjusted my range from the page and when you're drawing that distance from the page is just your posture everything anything that's slightly off completely it's a complete game changer so I I was getting a wee bit worried actually about it because I felt like I totally lost my line um, I wasn't happy with what I was drawing, but then I did. I took those sketches away when I was away at uh, a holiday in a caravan, and, and I did a Zenith one that came out pretty well. And just and again, I did some thinking over the last couple of days, so um, there doesn't seem to be any lasting effects in hand eye coordination. But and I'm not lying, I was really worried for a week. I thought, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore, which is a shame because I'm very close to the end of that book. Stop laughing. This is <laughs> no, we're dead silent now because <laughs> you shouted at us. Yeah. Uh, fucking hell, like. 
pouring my heart out here and I'm getting abuse. Do you know what table? Do you know what table you're at at all? So I can tell you what's what's in sale. Okay, yeah, sorry, still waiting for that. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. So you got these sketchbooks. Yeah, so I'm gonna have my new sketchbook out as well, which is um, 64 illustrations for only 4.99. Good value. And there you go. There's a, there's a bargain, and there's only a hundred. I'm not gonna do a reprint on it. Um, so, um, and I'll have original art for sale as well. And we'll have Dirt some cheap. we'll have some copies of Dirt Hidden cheap. Lives. Hidden Lives will be there as well, which you. you oh yeah, you yeah, yeah. I will sign in, and you want actually? So I'll sign up. I was going to say Braff or that's because of John Buscema's story yeah. I know someone has got a signed Braff and, and um, obviously Drawn Under the Influence D- 2 will be there yeah, for sale as well DUI yeah. 2 will be there and I'll, I'll have yeah. one of the I'll have an original art for one of the pages so that if um, if somebody manages to get all the signatures for all the, the creators that are um, from DUI that will be at Nottingham they can um, they can win a win a read, one of the original pages from inside the book as well oh nice good stuff Good. So please buy that because it raises money for uh, Char- yeah. Cancer Research UK. Good stuff, guys. Okay, so we're going to say goodbye in a second. This may be our longest episode ever. Um, so, Johnny, where can we find you online, mate? Um, you can find... Oh, yeah, and you can find me at Table U19. Well done, you. Well done. <laughs> Answer to your other question. <laughs> That's a concussion kicking in again. Yeah, it's like um, the two Ronnies like all over again, isn't it, this? Oh, God, it really is. I'm so... Um, I, you can find me online um, either Johnny Cannon on Facebook or Cannon Hill Comic and um, Twitter um, Cannon, at Cannon Hill Comics and Instagram as well I keep saying I'm going to leave Twitter and Facebook and I probably will after my new book's out um, and just go for Instagram although I've noticed my I, the algorithm seems to have changed or something like that because it's aye, I got a lot less like yeah. used to yeah, I think everyone's a bit like that. I think, yeah, yeah. What about you, Al? Where can we find you? Find me um, at Penguin on any form of social media. Good man, guys. A pleasure and a nice lot of research went into that one. A very enjoyable research. It's always fun it, researching these things. Oh, um, this was so good. So yeah, good. Definitely pleasure. And um, I'll say goodbye to you now. And we'll keep speaking after everyone's gone. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.